Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Gus, they were so close. They were right there, weren't they? I felt like they had it. I really felt like Gonzaga had it. You know what? The We pushed all year for Gonzaga, and they gave us everything that we wanted. Everything. Every single thing that we wanted. And now they're on par and ahead of certain programs that are on par with the Butler they're ahead of VCU. Oh, they're yeah. ahead of Wichita. Yep. They're ahead of George Mason. They're they're on par now with every other team that's ever made a final ever. You're doing right. They are. Well, folks, welcome to the Screen the Screener podcast. We're back. We're going to talk the championship game here. Gus and I are exhausted. We're we're totally excited. Great win for North Carolina, the 2017 national champions. But I have to tell you, Gus, even though I picked North Carolina, I have to tell you during the game. I started rooting for Gonzaga, and I'm going to tell you exactly where I started rooting, my friend. I started rooting when Killian Tilly got on the ground, got the loose ball, hit Shemek. Shemek gets it and one, and before the ball, Gus, goes through that net, he runs over to pick up Killian Tilly. I go, you know what? Let's go. And, and, and that's when I bought it. We'll get to it in the, in the review, folks. We're going to go uh, minute, you know, section by section for you, but... That's Gus when I said, you know what, Gonzaga – I texted you, actually. That's when I said, Gonzaga deserves to win this game. They should be the champions. That, and that's the, that's the basket that you were waiting all game for from Shemek, too. He, yep. he had so many chances at so many bunnies, and he just came up short. Obviously, the length and the girth and the, and the athleticism of the, of the UNC bigs gave him trouble down low, and he obviously didn't have the same groove that he had going earlier uh, as he did earlier in the other rounds. But that one singular play might define – Gonzaga's whole entire season yep. is they relied so heavily on their bigs. Their bigs came through through for them in a big moment, and then that that kinship the Zag showed in that moment of crisis. Like Shemek was more concerned about his teammate than that ball going in. Like, That's exactly my point. What yep. what else do you want from your teammate and from a student athlete? That was really cool, uh, really admirable, and also like. Unbelievable, teachable moment for every other coach in the nation. You're darn right. It's so well said, man. That's it. That's the deal. That's what they're about. And I, I've kind of been a foil to you all year with this just because I just didn't think they would get this far. But I have to tell you, they were the best team in the country. Watching that game, there's no doubt in my mind they were the best all-around team in the country. UNC won. I kind of felt, I don't know about you, the game was kind of an exhale after UNC won because it was kind of like they they had to win. You know, it would have if Gonzaga won, it would have been life altering for Gonzaga. But they didn't need it. Like they've already made the final four. They made the final game. What do they have to prove? Nothing. Shemek was even walking last year. They were wondering who's going to come back. But I did feel like it was kind of an exhale. Gonzaga was the best team in the country, folks. No doubt about it. Yeah, there was that um, scripted in drama of UNC getting back to the point where they couldn't quite. They couldn't quite get to the top of that mountain last year, and and if they didn't do it again this year with a similar cast, obviously minus uh, uh, Marcus and, and yep. Bryce. Yep. Um, at the same time, a lot of those characters played a ton of minutes from that past championship game. So yes, there was that scripted scripted in where they needed to go ahead and try to climb that mountain one more time, whereas Gonzaga was totally in uncharted waters. Well, folks, and what's going to be our last podcast of the? 
2017 season. Uh, we'll be back. We're going to go straight through the summer for you. We're going to take a little break here after this one, but then we'll come back with probably one of the podcasts you're looking forward to the most, the recap show, Gus. We'll right. go back. We'll show the things we got wrong, which may be even more fun. So we're going to do that one next, but this is just a quick one here. We're going to go over the games. We're going to go over the game, talk to you about it, and give us our thoughts on what was a tremendous championship game. I know there's a lot of fouls, and I do think, Gus, I have strong opinions on this. Why wouldn't I? That some of the critiques and some of the comments, criticisms were fair and some were ridiculous. All right. But let's, let's get into the game and, and then we'll, we'll talk. Sound good? Yeah, of course. Let's let, please let's. All right. We'll just go. Uh, we're going to go minutes uh, section by section here, folks. Not going to do the bells. No need for the bells. It's a championship game. So let's just go through it. First four minutes, Gus Gonzaga came out ready to go. Definitely was no stage fright for them. They were here to win the game. Shemek did struggle early, had a turnover and two misses. Justin Jackson missed two threes, which was a prelude of what was things to come. And Josh Perkins, your call. You said, how about Josh Perkins steps up? And again, you've been in lockstep with a lot of your predictions, and you were especially in lockstep with the Zags. Josh Perkins, five early points after having three points or less in three of his last four games. Gus' score was 8-7 Gonzaga at the first time out. Uh, it was interesting to see Perkins be kind of the difference maker in the first half of the game. He put up double digits in the first half, and it was – so rewarding for you know anybody that followed the the Zags during this tournament run and during the season that you knew Perkins uh, was you know a former top you know sixty ish recruit uh, one of their highest recruits that they've had at Gonzaga ever and he had just not found his groove in the tournament so it was so nice to have see him find success in the biggest game of the season for his team which was really really cool and uh, it was it, yeah it was just rewarding. Uh, for him as a student athlete and for, I'm sure, for the coaching staff, seeing like all their hard work and their dedication that they didn't let up on this kid, even though he had only put up, you know, that low total point total in the games leading up to this. Oh, I was going to say during the 16 minute mark to the uh, 12 minute mark, Gonzaga makes its first run here. Perkins and Williams Goss combined for seven points. And it's clear that UNC is struggling to hold up Gonzaga on the offensive end. While, also, Williams Goss on Jackson seems like a pretty smart move right here because it takes away one of the two scoring options for North Carolina. Brilliant. Even though even though Goss is a little bit outsized here, he really manned up and bodied up and athlete up uh, with Jackson, and he he proved to everybody that was watching the game he is Jackson's equal as a player. Brilliant move. Joel, yeah, Joel Berry the second had two threes at this point. It wasn't like uh, the red herring that we talked about last podcast where he put up his first three in that final four game and then it kind of was like just flat the whole rest entire of the game. Joel Berry came up big in this game. But the bigs for Gonzaga appeared to be up to the task of matching the UNC bigs. And we kind of called this. We said it was going to be an old school knockout fight with the bigs inside. The score is Gonzaga 19-14. Gus, I hope you enjoyed my cerebral cortex because you were squarely in my head in this game. As soon as Josh Perkins pulled up for three and started shooting it, I go, that's going in because Gus said he's going to have a big game. That's exactly what I said. So you were squarely in my head. Yes, by this point, I would say this. Number one, the Williams-Goss thing on Jackson had me go, hmm, Mm. because I said, that's going to be a problem for Jackson. And he was the first person to defend uh, Justin Jackson right all game, all uh, tournament long. He followed him in transition. He picked him up right away. He's tall. He's a big body himself. It's a brilliant move by few. Inside, yeah, they were struggling a little bit, but Joel Berry certainly was hot, so you knew he was going to come ready to play. It seemed like he was ready to go. But at this point, Gus Gonzaga still had control, and they seemed like they were they were just up to the task, and this was going to be a nail-biter. I, I think that you, you, know, you brought up the, the Williams-Goss and Jackson matchup. 
if you take a look at it on paper and you take a look at them as athletes on the floor, they're very similar. Neither one of them is going to like blow your doors off and blow your mind with their athleticism, but their silky smooth method of play and their pace of play is nearly identical. Both of them have this like really quirkiness to their game. They find odd seams and really interesting angles to get their shots off. They're both kings at runners, one foot runners, in the lane, off balance shots, but they're also unbelievably sound fundamentally. So it's like Williams Goss was like kind of guarding himself, except maybe like three or four inches taller. So he knew what he was getting himself into, and by no means was he going to get blown out of the water athletically by Jackson. 12 to 8 minute mark, Gus. Short period here because they waited a while to get that under 12 timeout. Barry hit a three. Wasn't a lot of scoring action. The pace slowed. Jackson was able to find a second basket, but it was difficult. And really at this point, 21-19 Gonzaga, it's it just status quo. I, I felt like Gonzaga was playing well, even though they were having trouble scoring inside. Perkins had picked up the slack. Goss was in control. You know, Carolina was getting some baskets inside, too. Jackson was struggling. You thought he was going to come out of it. He didn't. And Joel Berry was doing his thing. So pretty much pretty even at this point. I thought this part of the game just showed this game wasn't going anywhere. Nobody was going to run away from each other Mm -hmm. during this part of the game. And I think this was just a fortune teller for further on in the second half. Like, this game was going to be this close until the final minute, which exactly exactly where it stayed the whole entire game. So I, I, I think this game... This part of the game, even though we say, oh, it's slow, it was boring, there's too many fouls, like this just showed these teams were so evenly matched. At the eight-minute mark down to the four-minute mark, Berry hits another three. That's multiple threes in the first half for Joel Berry. Justin Jackson gets two more of his baskets. And for Gonzaga, Zach Collins makes an appearance, and he's an issue inside, rebounding. He's blocking shots again. He's scoring. He is making an impact again, just like he did in that final four game. Perkins with two free throws and yet another three takes it to the under four timeout and Gonzaga actually opened up a smidgen of a lead 28 to 21 here and it's all because of Perkins and Collins. Yeah, this this was Zach Collins. I mean, Zach Collins was outstanding in the in the final four game. He was outstanding in this game. He was an issue, and he was able to score. Shemek was having trouble, which I thought was going to happen with the bigger bodies of UNC, with Meeks and Hicks. He got to the basket. He did miss some bunnies, but they were providing more resistance. Shemek is the type of guy who all year long, no one is going to be able to stop him backing in without a double team. North Carolina tried to do it straight up, and I think that threw him off a little bit. But Collins is legit. Uh, he's he's a he can score. He developed well. He can jump. He's agile. So this to me was the Zach Collins. Hello, I'm still here. Remember me from the Final Four, and away we go. All right, and then that takes us down to uh, the four minute mark up until halftime of the game. Uh, Shemek just continues to struggle with his misses. He even had a turnover or two, so he was way off his game in the first half. It was like it might have been the worst half I've seen him play all season. And I've watched a ton of Gonzaga games and stayed up really late to, to do that. Um, and I was just really thrown off by the way, the, his pace of play. The efficiency that he showed all season was absent for sure. Barry was fouled on a three. He made all three of his free throws. Uh, Silas Melson uh, hits a three. So he got in there for you, Mike, just to kind of stick it to you. Of course. Pins- Pinson and Williams Goss exchanged free throws. And it's Gonzaga up 35 32 at the half again this game wasn't going anywhere fast it was going to stay right in that area of point spread the entire second half 
And worthy of note, with all the complaints about the fouls being called here, there were only 17 in the first half, which is really reasonable. You split that even Steven down the middle. That's like eight and a half per team, and that sounds about right. Teams barely getting into the bonus. So as much as people were complaining about the officiating in the first half, it seemed okay and on the level. Yeah, a lot of people, Gus, when they're talking about this game, which is why you listen to the Screen the Screener podcast, folks, you don't want to have fly-by-night analysis. You don't want to have people who don't watch college basketball, who are not into it all year, who don't start their podcast with Connor Frankamp like we did, all of a sudden breaking this down. The fact is this first half of this game was tremendous. It was very close. I did think, Gus, at this point that North Carolina had an advantage with all the stuff that went on, Justin Jackson not scoring. They're only down three. So I'm like, hmm. Also at this point, Collins had two fouls. I think I put it on Twitter. Uh, uh, I think uh, Williams had two fouls. Shemek had two fouls. But my point is that Zach Collins fouls. That's what Zach Collins does. He's fouled out of many games. He's played like only 15 minutes. So you can't blame the officials for all of this. The fact that they have 17 fouls in the first half and a couple guys have two is very reasonable. But I did think, us at this point, that UNC had an advantage because I didn't think the lead was big enough. Gonzaga, to me, outplayed them in the first half big time. Uh, also, what I think here as far as the fouls go and the, the, the score at halftime, like what did you expect? Like, did you expect these teams to go put up 45 each against one another? These two teams play old school, knock down, drag out, throw it into the big man basketball. And, you know, their numbers and their metrics say so. Sure, do they both play at like a top 100 tempo pace, uh, according to Ken Palm? Yeah, the, both of them do. Uh, but do, the way that they get there is by doing exactly what they did, throw it into their bigs and let their bigs make great decisions. And also, both of these teams are unbelievably great defensively. Like, as fast as North Carolina plays, they're still a really good top 25 Ken Palm defensive team. And we talked about Gonzaga's defensive efficiency all year as well. And coming into this game, they were the number one ranked defensive efficiency team according to Ken Palm. So if you want, like, big points scored here and everybody just put up 100 it's not going to happen in this particular matchup, and it's not any fault. It's just something to pay attention to, enjoy, and admire because these two teams are really well coached, and they follow their game plan every single game. And guess what? Both teams followed the game plan the first half to a T. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of people are saying, Gus, that you know these teams want to get up and down the floor. I think they did a little bit more than they did. But sure, Gonzaga sure. is Gonzaga's a great defensive team. They've been like that all year. So they're just going to let UNC run up and down the floor. And you're exactly 100% correct. UNC is a team that is led by their bigs. Barry is injured. Jackson comes off of screens and he was off. So they're going to want to throw it in the post. And so is Gonzaga. So this is 35-32 is not an unreasonable score for this game. What do you expect? 50 to 40? That is not going to happen. A, if that happens, that means Gonzaga's losing. Okay, because that's not their type of game. They want to run a little bit, but not to that extent with North Carolina. And both teams had advantage inside. So I think it's a really great point. Like the idea this is supposed to be a track meet, this is not Louisville, Kansas. Okay, no. this, is a, this is not what this game is. So I think people just, they read like the summary on Monday morning and think they know all. They don't know all. You're, you're here with us, folks. You're going back. You're going back to Connor Frank Camp. That's why you know this is going to happen. And, uh, and one, la- one last thing on, on just like the, the, I guess, tone of the game. Everybody needs to keep in mind. Like we got spoiled we got spoiled with that Kentucky-UNC game, with that drama, with the Luke Mays buzzer beater. We got spoiled with the Final Four games. The, both of them were ultra-competitive, coming down to a final possession, uh, and you know, within points and within the last couple of seconds. 
And this game gave us the exact same thing. We just got there in a different path. Exactly. And, and also, like, these guys are student athletes playing on the biggest stage of their, like, very short careers. Like, you don't expect some of these guys to be a little bit nervous. You don't expect, like, one of those jumpers to get pu- get, the, get the string pulled on it. You don't expect, like, you saw Shemek with all of those misses real close in. You don't expect, like, a little nerve to get in there with these guys. Like, I think it's unrealistic on the viewer's part and the fan's part to expect these student athletes to play an absolutely spotless game after um, after getting spoiled by a couple games earlier, but also, like, for every possession. I don't. I don't think that's a fair assumption of the general fans part. Like, enjoy the game for what it is. It was incredibly competitive, and what else do you want from your student athletes except to be unbelievably competitive every possession? That's well, exactly what this game gave us. Well said, po- folks. Look at the stats. Championship games are not up and down like that. Now, listen. The first half, if you're going to complain about the fouls, we'll get to that right now. But the first sure. half was not the reason. You know, 17 fouls is not the reason. Second half. First four-minute period, it was an 8-0 run by UNC to start the half. So they jumped right back out and said, we're going to take control. That leads to a Gonzaga timeout. This is where the fouls start picking up, Gus, because there was nine fouls in the first four minutes of the second half. And Zach Collins got two fouls, so he picked up his third and his fourth. Now, the question I'm going to ask is, why is he still in the game at the 1852 mark when he gets his third foul? Maybe I'm a little ultra-sensitive, Gus, because my Jock Landell, I I just know that when they get the third foul, they're going to sit down. So I don't know why few kept him on the on the court with with three fouls at 18.52, but he did, and he banged his fourth one right away. So he doesn't get his fourth till the 15.53 mark, which means for three minutes he was on the floor. Gonzaga still led, though, 41.40 at this point, but nine fouls is certainly a lot because if you prorate that, you know, you're talking about 45 fouls in the second half. So certainly I, I do understand that, that that was a lot, but still, that was really the only period that was bad. UNC made a run. Gonzaga responded. Here are my two thoughts on this little period right here, and then I'll move on to the next uh, the next time frame of the game. Um, number one, all those fouls were called because you know what they said at halftime. Put it inside. Coach Williams said that. Coach Few said that. Guys, we're going back. We're not abandoning the inside game. We're going to force it in there. What happened? When you force the ball in there, boom. Foul, whistle, foul, whistle, foul, whistle. That's what's going to happen. So I think that both teams were following their coach's game plan and the officials had to adjust due to the defense that was being played or lack thereof defense and fouls being made. Second part with uh, Zach Collins, like here is the part where I'm going to play like the advocate and say like, well, we got on Calipari for sitting Fox and Bam Adebayo for two fouls in the first half. I applaud Few here vigorously. If you have the gluttony of bigs that he has with Karnowski, with Tilly, with Collins, with Williams, you have the luxury of playing one of those guys with, like, quote-unquote foul trouble. Because guess what he's able to do as soon as somebody gets in, like, true foul trouble and is one foul away from fouling out of the game? He gets to bring one of those other guys in. Or he also has the option of going small, which isn't a great option against UNC because they always have two bigs on the floor. But I applaud him for keeping his best players on the floor in the biggest game of the year. Like, yeah. what else do you want from your coach? Like, But, but Gus, I, you can't keep him on with three fouls with 18 minutes left. I, mean, I think you can. 
I but, think you can. But Killian Tilly is like two points per game. So I understand they have other bigs, but Zach Collins has been, and I've been late to the party on this one again, Zach Collins was a difference maker. Zach Collins was a guy who could score. I mean, by that argument, what you're telling me is that Tilly is just as good as Collins. Like, that is just no, not true. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm, not telling, I'm not saying that. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying I'm applauding Few for keeping his best players on the floor during the biggest part of the game. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice here, and I'm going to put my best players out, out on the floor to win the game right now in this time period and the foul troubles happened so he had to take him out of the game but he was willing to take that risk other coaches are not willing to take that risk but the biggest part of the game is not the start of the second half the biggest part of the game is the end of the game and i i, I just think that like you he gets that fourth foul gus he's sitting for 10 minutes I, like he gets the third foul you can sit him for four or five minutes and i i understand the part about you know calipari but once he gets the like i'm not advocating keeping monk and fox until he get four I'm advocating keeping Monks and Fox until they get three and then sitting them. He gets the third there. And listen, honestly, Zach Collins is a foul magnet. Right? He, I mean, he, he is, he, yeah. That yeah. is his thing. And he plays that way. And that's why you love him. I, I just think it was apparent to me watching the game. He needs Zach Collins on the floor at the end of the game because it just looked like you know, Matthews is streaky. Williams is okay. I wouldn't say he's a big guy. I mean, I wouldn't say Colin Williams is a back-to-the-basket guy. I think he's kind yeah. of more a wing that plays big. And, you know, what are you doing in the second half? The bank in three, which we'll get to in a minute. But right, right. I, I just, to me, if, if he gets the fourth, Gus, you know he's sitting. If he gets the third, eh, sit him three minutes, four minutes, then bring him back. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, with the I, and the thing is, too, Shemek is Shemek was off. I guess that's the other point, too, I'm trying to say. Yeah. That, that part didn't help the equation at all either, and maybe that added to Few's urgency of leaving Collins on the floor because Shemek was not playing as efficient, efficiently as he usually does. All right, so in the 16-minute mark to the 12-minute mark, right after the TV timeout, Shemek also picks up his third foul. So now we're looking at foul trouble across the board for Gonzaga. Lots of misses right here. The game really got tight. You can tell that some of the student athletes were real, it, the, like the pressure of the game, the urgency of the game was really getting to him. And this is where one of our favorite plays of the entire game. We talked about it in the pre. We talked about it in the prelude. Tilly dives for the ball. He hits Shemek, and then at the fourteen thirty-two mark, Shemek makes a beeline over to Tilly. Fantastic. Helps him off the floor like. Almost doesn't even pay attention to his own shot attempt. It was just wonderful. And at this point, you had to think, you know what, Gonzaga does have some of this magic going that they've been having all year. They just might win this game. Barry did make his third three of the game, and UNC takes the lead back 47-46 with about 10.53 left. So this game was not going anywhere, and you knew it was going to stay tight the rest of the way. I'll say it again, Gus. That this is the, that 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 situation happened. I thought Gonzaga should win the game. And listen, I'm not being sappy. If you want to call me sappy, feel free to contact the show sdspodcast at gmail or tweet the show at sdspodcast. It's just the they they had something special going. They had something special. Few the bench. Bigs inside, outside, three pointers, and I love seeing that stuff. I want to see them lay it on the, on the court. I want to see them play together. North Carolina is really a conglomerate of great players, and they do play together to a certain extent. But Gonzaga's special, and when that happened, I said, "I hope I'm wrong. I hope my pick is wrong." I swear to you, I said that, and that's when I texted you and said, "I think Gonzaga should win this game." They yeah. It. All right, so we got the uh, let's see, we got the twelve to eight minute mark here. 
Game's going to start getting tight now, Gus. Shemek missed two layups and a free throw. Again, great player. Has been fantastic for them all season. Has led Terrible them. Terrible game. Had a bad game. It just had a bit. It happens. Barry Bonds Terrible. made a career of it. Okay, in baseball, it happens. He picked up his fourth foul late in this period, and that's a killer to me, Gus, because that goes back to my point. He's got four now. Collins has four, and yeah. they're in trouble. But... Justin Jackson makes his his only basket. He makes a basket, Gus, at the 8.53 mark left for eight total points. Gus, that's Justin Jackson's first field goal since the 5.35 mark of the first half. What does that even mean? Again, that guy's an All-American. First team, right? Williams Goss had been great on him. Uh, The 8.02 mark is the ex post facto foul. And I'm going to go nuts here in a minute. UNC's up 54-52, the under eight timeout. Gus, I'm going to say it now. I don't want to hear from anybody. You cannot get into the habit of going back and calling fouls after the fact. UConn women, thats if they had won that game, that would have been a complete travesty against Mississippi State. Gus, people miss fouls. It happens. Joel Berry stripped Shemek cleanly. He mm-hmm. stripped him cleanly and they called a foul. No problem, guys. It happens. <laughs> These things happen. And then Shemek because he's trying to get the ball back, just happened to hit Barry with his hands. There's no intent there. He didn't mean to do that on purpose. And that's his fourth foul. Come on, guys. It's unfair. So now with the replay, Gus, we can go back in time and we can call fouls and we can judge intent and we can judge direction. This is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my life. If you want to go back when you call a foul, Gus, and see if it's a flagrant no problem. But you cannot go to the monitor because everybody's yelling in Phoenix and say, oh, we're going to call a foul. That's ridiculous. That's not what you can do. You can go back to a World Series game. You know what, guys? I think it was a strike. Let's bring everybody back out of the dugout and do it again. I I so am frustrated by that because it took Shemek out of the game and it's not right. I don't like it. Listen, there's no precedent for this. I don't think this has ever happened in a big-time college basketball game. Maybe you and I missed it during the season, during like a conference game or something that that we did not get to see. But I doubt it, but I don't think so. Because I don't think during the regular season that officials are going to the monitor this often to go ahead and double-check to see if they got a play right or not. Now, again, it's not your job or my job, and we're not here to like go ahead and poo-poo on the officials – But this one particular item is one that should be addressed immediately and corrected. This cannot happen. You cannot go back in time and say, oh, we're going to whistle a foul now on that particular play. You can't do that. You you, you can go back and, like you said, uh, take a look at the degree of a flagrant foul. That's okay because you have student-athlete safety in mind there. But you can't go back and rewrite what you just did five minutes ago. You can't don't do get it. a redo. You don't get a redo. Gus, no way. And and the and listen, we'll get into this a little bit later too. The idea that they take so long, that West Virginia-Gonzaga game, that was nine minutes, Gus. They took nine minutes to look at that play in the West Virginia-Gonzaga game. I can't take it anymore. It's this simple, people. There should be a guy sitting somewhere listening to the announcers. Yes, they should be listening to Jim Nance and listening to Grant Hill and listening to Raftery. Here's why. Because if I hear from Jim Nance, okay, oh, Jim, if I hear from Jim Nance, well, it's obviously out on that team. Okay, that's it. Because the people who are watching the games, the fans, now say it's over. They should Don't have them go to the sideline, Gus, with their finger and spin the dial. No, 
put on the headset, talk to Gus Kearns, say, Gus, what's the deal? Gus goes, ah, it's real simple. It's not a flagrant. And that's it. You take the headset off. Why does it have to be on the officials who are running up and down, who are sweating, who are in the middle of 100,000 people? Put some guy with some, some beer nuts who's sitting there and have him look at it because we all know the right answer before they do. I can't take it anymore. Again, and there needs to be a sea caucus situation yes. like there is in the NBA. That's what needs to happen. Gus, why can't there be an official whose job is to make this call? Why does the call have to be with the officials on the floor? Why? While people are yelling in the air, hey, you missed it, Einstein. Why can't it be a guy in a padded room in sea caucus just sitting there relaxing, watching it going, ah, oh, that's it. Because we ha- know it. Ha- hashtag sea caucus situation or sea caucus solution. <laughs> there we go. Let's there's, go. There's the name of the pod. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Very good. All right. At the eight-minute mark down to the four-minute mark, we have a UNC lead of 58-54. Jonathan Williams goes up for that three-pointer, and, man, he banks it in from the wing. It was very ugly, but it's exactly what Gonzaga needed to close the gap to 58-57, and that was at the 5-03 mark. Zach Collins fouls out at this point. You had mentioned his foul trouble earlier. He came back in with the four fouls and then didn't even get a lot of run with that fourth foul to that fifth foul period. He made a jumper at the 6.09 mark. He blocked a shot later, and he was the second best offensive weapon for Gonzaga behind Nigel Williams-Goss. But he was was out of the game at at the five-minute mark, and they totally could have used his big body and his skills at the end game scenario. Uh, at the 447 mark, Matthews misses a three-pointer that goes out of bounds. The ref said that Pinson deflected it, but he did not touch the ball, and it should have been UNC ball. And here's another situation where we just should have went to see caucus to figure out whose ball it was. People say there was a foul there, maybe, and then after the fact, it was not really affecting the shot at all. So there's a ton of avenues to go down here, but I'm so glad that they did not go back and then you know, reset it and say like, oh, well, Matthews got fouled on that and then awarded him three foul shots Ridiculous. as much as that would have been awesome Gus, for I'm Gonzaga sorry. fans everywhere. I'm sorry. But, Hold on one second. I'm sorry because yeah. I'm going to forget this because I'm senile. Gus, it is – I don't want fouls in the championship game right. that occur after the ball is released, released unless it is the crane kick from the karate kid and sweeps <laughs> his legs out. People, all these North Carolina fans are getting on me because we'll get to the Meeks, you know, hand out of bounds thing in a minute when sure. I said on Twitter – Gus, was he fouled? No. No, he wasn't. A foul would be affecting the shot. He let the shot go. He had to shoot it over Pinson's hand, which is, he's very athletic, was high. And he put too much arc and it was short. Whether Pinson grazed his arm seconds after you left it go, guys, we're not calling that in a championship game. It's not affecting the play. This is a national championship game. It was not a foul. It was not a foul. Stop it, Carolina Truthers. Or, uh, yeah, or Gonzaga truth is rather. It was not a foul. It was an air ball. But you know what, Gus? That's okay. Like, that's part of the game that's going to happen. I don't care. And Gonzaga, go ahead, took advantage. Uh, right. And how many times, like, when we played, like, how many times did you have to take a jump shot and you felt like you were giving the defender a high five because that's where his hand ended up, right? It, it happens. Nobody says that because it was yeah. a bad call, they have to give up a three on the inbounds. I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, enough of this garbage. Like, it was an air ball. That's what it was. He was not fouled. It was an air ball. Right. So after the fact, like, we're going to say it was a, it was a contested shot, and that contested shot went awry. Yes. So William, Nigel Williams-Goss inba- uh, inbounds, Nigel Williams-Goss three, and what do you know? Gonzaga is up 60 to 59, four minutes left. Again, 
This game was not leaving this point spread the entire second half. The Zags are alive. But in what may have been the most underrated shot, Joel Berry answers Nigel Williams-Adonis' three with his four three of the game. He played like the best player on the floor. He was amazing. Um, that shot totally killed any momentum that Gonzaga had riding after Nigel williams Gossa shot, and UNC was back up to North Carolina is up 62-60 to with 3.08 left. And you know what? We called for Joel Berry playing great in big games all season, and he did not disappoint in this championship game. No, Gus, that was a huge shot. I'm telling you, it happened, and I said, oh, I felt like a oh. gut punch to my stomach. That that changed momentum. Goss hits the three. So impressive. They need to get stops because then they can control tempo. Wow, that was a big three by Berry's contested. It was an early in the shot clock. What a job. Williams-Goss playing great right now. I don't know what to say. To me, this is drama. It's a great game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. It's not 85 to 80, and I'm sorry everybody doesn't have one foul. This is a great game. Gonzaga's going to take the lead again in a minute. What else do you want? I don't think you want much else. I think what people wanted is they wanted the great players to play greatly in a great game. And Jackson shot under 50%. Shemek shot under 50%. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I shot under 50%. So I think that's the one part yeah. that you can hype okay. about as a fan. But besides that, you can't fault their competitiveness and their effort. I mean, part of the reason they shot that way is because they're excellent defensive teams. And Very the good. matchups were really, really strong on both ends. Yeah, I, and, and that's a, such a good point. Guys, do you think Gonzaga is going to come in and let Justin Jackson have 30 points? I mean, no. that, that, have you watched Gonzaga the whole year? I have. I, I have. Has anybody I, scored 30 on them all right, season? Right. I've been their foil all year. Like, it's not going to happen. You knew they were going to take somebody out. They chose to take Jackson, which was the right move, by the way, because pretty much they were in the game the whole time. That, that's exactly right. And, and they wanted the big players. Guys, I don't want to hear about Zach Collins fouling out. The guy averages 17.1 minutes per game. He played 14. I don't want to hear about it. If you're telling me that Zach Collins fouling out was like a travesty, you're not paying attention. Zach Collins fouls out of almost every game. That's Zach Collins' thing this year. He averaged 17 minutes. He played 14 in the championship game. The idea that Zach Collins like was really cursed by the fouls, Meeks had foul trouble. Bradley had foul trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, um, uh, Hicks had foul trouble. Like They were fouling everybody, so they were doing it consistently. But you can't – I love Zach Collins. He really impressed me in this game. And last, this whole tournament has been really, really good in my mind. He's probably been good the whole year. You've been on him. But I, he really impressed me as someone who was sort of a contrarian to him. But, guys, you can't get on the fouls. He played average 17 minutes. He played 14. Enough. Enough. Zach Collins has to play 25 minutes in this game because he didn't do that for pretty much most of the year. Here, here's the one thing that changes the, – the one dynamic that changes when – like this particular conversation happens is yeah sure would you like zach collins to go ahead and have a couple extra minutes on the floor of course you would if you're mark few but also at the same time the entire season you've had the the luxury you've had the blessing of saying saying to zach collins as a freshman look here's what you need to do you need to come in and play aggressive for 15 to 20 minutes yes yes Yes. That means you can go ahead and be aggressive blocking shots. Yes, you can be, you can you. be a little sloppy with the thank ball. You. So so that's that's exactly what happened here. He came in and did that exact thing. He came in and had um, let's see. He had three blocks, so he came in and played really aggressively on the defensive end, but he also had five fouls. And that's exactly what that was the game plan the entire season. So it's not like anything really changed. It just happens to be in the national championship game. Spoken like a man who knows Gonzaga inside and out. Gus, we got the last countdown here. Here we go. 
Goss made one or two free throws and a jumper to put Gonzaga up 63-62, 2.25 left. Folks, if you ask the Gonzaga fans, they would be up one with 2.25 left. They would take it. Nothing about the fouls. Nothing about the way the game went. 2.25 left. You're up one. Let's go. 2.09 mark. Goss loses Jackson for really the first time all night under the basket. He turned his head for a split second. Gets a layup. The thing is, Goss can't foul him there, Gus. And he gets N1. So Goss, the, the end one was the killer. There, it right? was a killer. So Goss yeah. ended up getting two quick fouls guarding Jackson in like 15 seconds. And UNC goes up 66-65 with 140 left. Now here we go. At the 125 mark, Williams Goss rolled his ankle. A few calls timeout. He comes back in and misses a jumper. Here's my thing also. You know me. I don't want to see players get hurt. I don't want to see the game being decided by an injury. I will say that completely. But I'm, I'm listening to sports radio out here in the East Coast, and they're telling me, oh, you, you know, um, UNC couldn't stop uh, Goss the whole game. Folks, he was 5 of 17 from the field. Okay, Correct. so let, let's take it easy. He's a great player. He can make shots down the stretch. But don't tell me the ankle roll changed the game. He came back in the game. He sucked it up. Joel Berry was hurt as well. I'm fairly certain they were close in injury uh, at that point. And Goss was 5 of 17. So it's not like this guy was on fire, rolled his ankle, and then all of a sudden like fell off the face of the earth. So that's another one, that the misnomer that sort of drove me nuts. Um, but he misses a jumper. Joel Berry misses a three. And here's your critical junction, Gus. Loose ball occurs. The ball goes on the floor. Gus Silas Melson is laying on the ground with no one around him. He hits it. I've watched it now so many times. He hits the ball three times. He hits it three times and not grabbed it. Then Kennedy Meeks dives for the ball. Well done. Okay. And at that point, it becomes a jump ball, which is UNC's possession. But as all the replays will show you, Meeks' mm-hmm. hand is out of bounds. Could they blow it up anymore? It looked like a paw. They blew it up so much. But it, it, it was out of bounds for about a split second while Meeks was fumbling for the ball. You got to pipe down here, Gonzaga fans, and here's why. You can't tell me that if Kennedy Meeks didn't touch out of bounds for a split second, that Silas Melson is going to be able to wrestle the ball away so that it's not a jump ball from the 200, what, 60-pound Kennedy Meeks. Once Melson didn't secure the ball for the two seconds he had the chance on the ground, he's not getting it back. So what you're looking for, folks, is you're looking for a bailout. You want a bailout call because Kennedy Meeks' shoelace touched the out-of-bounds line. Do you really think he gained an advantage? Do you think that, that Silas Melson was about to wrestle the ball away from Kennedy Meeks, who dove on the floor? No. Melson didn't get it. It was going to end up as a jump ball anyway. So enough. Please. Gus, thoughts? So here's my thoughts on this. And this – I think it's kind of typical. Like – for people to get up in arms and scream and shout about the officiating, you need a tipping point. This play was the tipping point. This play was the bow on the package that everybody could wrap up and say the game was a, a poorly officiated. This is the thing that you could, blow, like you said, you can blow up Meeks's hand and then it turns, into, like you said, like a paw. That's a great example. Like of Chewbacca. Yeah. Right. <laughs> blow it up. But yeah, his hand got enormous. Was it in real time? It didn't look that way, folks. It was a little harder to call. Than no right. <laughs> so if everybody wants to get upset about the officiating in this game, there was the perfect example. And then you can play revisionist history and go back and say, like Zach Collins fouled out. Shemek Karnowski had four fouls. The two UNC bigs had four fouls. Jonathan Williams had foul trouble, so on and so on. And you can say like, Oh, this really affected the game. And here's another example of where poor officiating affected the game. Guess what? 
That happens every game. And guess we're and gonna, when you're the, and guess and we're going to conveniently forget about the Jonathan Williams shot, right? We're not going to talk about that. I mean, um, I'm sorry, the Jordan right. Matthews shot, right? That's my point. So, and also when you have like 50 plus cameras at an event like the national championship game, like go ahead and turn on the Masters this weekend. Look how many angles they have at like you know every single hole for every single shot. When you have that many avenues to view and consume the product that you're putting out there, like it's going to give you that argument. So guess what? You have the beautiful example and the uh, beautiful bow to tie on. You're like, this game was poor, poorly officiated. Here's example, exhibit A. Yeah, congratulations, you got it. And guess what? Congratulations, that play happens almost every other All game the time. during the season. Guys. And we just happen to have a camera at that spot to catch it and blow it up for to go ahead and badmouth the officiating. The only way, folks, that you could argue this, Gonzaga fans, is if Meeks was standing out of bounds, dove back into the play while his lower torso remained out of bounds, thus giving him a leverage point, and then he got the jump ball. He yeah. was in the court. He jumped down. Melson didn't grab it in time. Once Meeks hits the floor and outweighs Melson by, what, 70 pounds? That's a jump ball. That is going to be a jump ball. Don't look for a bailout call. Anyway, that happens. UNC gets the ball. Few even talked about it, who was as classy as could be in the postgame. That was, a, that was a turning point. And you know what, Gonzaga? You don't have to give up a shot after that. Jump ball, which goes to Carolina. Inbounds. Hicks drives to the basket. Huge score. Hicks finished with 13 points, nine rebounds. Best game of the tournament. He had six combined points, Gus, in the previous two games. Gonzaga timeout. Goss tries to take it. This is where not having Zach Collins hurts because they really have to go to Goss. There's no one else on the floor. Right. Blocked by Meeks. Nice block by Meeks. To Berry, to Jackson. Dunk. UNC up five. At that point, the game is over. Don't get on Shemek for the full court pass. It doesn't matter. They're down five no. or ten seconds left. It's almost impossible. Passes to Barry. Barry's fouled. Celebration begins, Gus. UNC wins, and they escape. Then they win. 71-65. And what I thought, and I'm sure you agree, was a really was a really exciting game to watch. I, I, the officiating, yes, yeah, slowed it down in the second half a little bit, but it still was exciting. Folks, go back and watch Butler-Duke, um, which I think was 60-58, to something like that. That wasn't a high-scoring game either. But in any event, what a game, and what a year for Gonzaga. I think it just adds, like, every, it, every possession – in the second half, especially with under eight to play, had drama. Like every single possession. Like we went through like the Nigel Williams Goss three, followed by the Berry three. And then going in, like we, we talked about how each possession had this unbelievably high value. And what else do you want from a competitive standpoint when the entire second half, every possession has that sense of urgency on it? UNC unbelievably brave job by them going to back-to-back championship games and then sewing up the second one so happy for that group of of play of student athletes that came back um and got to experience the heartbreaking loss and then got to feel the confetti coming down and that confetti being for their win as opposed to you know their shortcomings on an amazing shot by villanova so you love that those guys had that experience and i'm with you with the gonzaga end of it they they got there. They played unbelievably well. By no means they have their doors blown off. You know, with under a minute to play, it's a one position game. Like if you're Gonzaga, that you'd sign up for that every single time. Your your All American got blocked by another unbelievably all conf, a great All Conference player from the ACC, and you live with that. You put the you put the ball in your best player's hands, and he got blocked by another great player. 
Yeah, and I'll just run down my talking points here, and then I, and I think we we got it. Uh, yeah. Foul issues, like I said, Gus, foul issues only became an issue in the second half. 17 fouls in the first half are not that much. Nine in the first four minutes is really the issue. Zach Collins was was tremendous, but UNC Bigs were also in foul trouble. Second one, out-of-bounds play for Meeks, way overblown. We went over that. Agreed. Jordan Matthews, Matthews three, that was also a missed call, gave Goss and Gonzaga a three-pointer, so let's even it up there. You and I talked about it, ex post facto fouls, I'm going to call them, hashtag ex post facto fouls. They got to stop. You can't go to the monitor and make up fouls. Great win for UNC. Uh, the idea that Goss rolled his ankle and changed the game was not true. Goss was 5 of 17, 1 of 3 from three-point range. And by the way, 4 of 8 from the free throw line. We don't talk about that. That's so, true. So people on these sports shows, who, who and you, you people, please. The, the NCAA tournament is one of these things where you have to specialize. Everyone thinks they can talk about the basketball. They can't. They don't know what they're talking about. So you got to go to someone like us who's going to sit there and break it down for you. And we've watched it the whole year. The idea that, that, that Goss was dominating in this game, he wasn't. He was the best player for them, and maybe he could have made some shots. But him rolling the ankle, Barry rolled the ankle, all the ex- extra factors, I think, evened out. And then finally, Gus, I'll, I'll end with this. Marfu's great. Gonzaga's great. Maybe Goss and, uh, Goss and Collins will stay. I know the the, um, the pros really like Zach Collins, and I understand why. No negative on Gonzaga. Only positives here. Outstanding job. No longer a mid-major. I will never call Gus Gonzaga a mid-major ever again. They're a major program. Agreed. Congratulations to UNC and the Tar Heels. Congratulations to Coach Williams for getting that third championship. He's in like a very, very exclusive company uh, now as far as greatest coaches of all time. And I, I think we'll both agree with this, at least I think. He could be one of the most underrated coaches of all time, uh, the things that he's accomplished both at Kansas and at UNC. And congratulations to Joel Berry and Justin Jackson, Meeks and Hicks. Like That crew is a really admirable group of student athletes, and they did nothing but overcome a lot of the chatter beginning of the season that UNC had to deal with some possible sanctions and the NCA investigating. So there was there was some static that this group had to fight through to get to this point. And you know what Coach Williams and that and those student athletes and that coaching staff did? They did exactly what you would you would hope that a great coach and great players do. They stayed focused on their goal and did not let outside static affect what they were trying to do. So congratulations to the Star Heels. Definitely. Two things. I think Roy Williams is as good a guy as you're going to find in college basketball. I don't think he knew anything about these cheating things. I don't think he's in there erasing grades with an eraser under a black light. I mean, that's ridiculous. And number two, I heard a story that I'll pass on. I guess he was recruiting Nate Britt at the same time that Frank Martin was recruiting Sindarius Thornwell. So they went into separate classrooms after the game and they were talking to it. So Williams was done with Britt and Britt had committed. So he's walking by and he looks in and he sees Frank Martin talking to Sindarius Thornwell. Now I'm fairly certain that probably old Roy could have maybe gone in and said something to Sindarius Thornwell. Well, he did walk in, but you know what he said, Gus? He walks in, he looks at Sindarius Thornwell, he interrupts the conversation and says, son, this is one of the best people and coaches in all of college basketball. You'd be a fool not to play for him. He gets up and walks out, and Sindarius Thornwell commits about one day later. So, folks, say what you want about Roy Williams. He's okay in my book. Wow. That's a great place to end this podcast. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to our uh, championship game uh, rehash. Uh, sorry I had to dig myself out of uh, my Gonzaga blues. Uh, so thanks for giving us a day to do that. Thank you for tuning into the Screen the Screener podcast all season. And, you know, as Mike and I always say, we are always thankful, always humbled. Uh, and 
We love chatting NCAA hoops with you, so we'll definitely catch up with you guys a little bit later next week. So thank you for sticking around with us all season. Thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you, Belljar, for taking us in and out all season. And uh, Mike and I are really thankful for uh, Blog Talk Radio and the partnership that we've had with them. They've been unbelievably helpful on their tech end as well. So thank you, technology department at Blog Talk Radio, for helping uh, get this podcast out to the masses and into your guys' ears and earbuds. Thank you. And, folks, this is what our plan is, just so you know. Um, screen the screen ain't going anywhere. We're getting bigger. We're getting stronger. We're getting better. We're already thinking about things we can do uh, next year. But in the meantime, this is what you're going to look forward to. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. We're going to cut and splice and go through all the podcasts that we did. Gus, I think we're about 58 of them. Amazing. 58. Which is nuts. Yeah. Nuts. That's outrageous. So we're going to cut and splice the best moments. So we'll give you one. I know you're going to want to hear this one. It'll be a good, nice, long one, hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. That'll be coming up in about a week, week and a half, something like that. And then after that, we're going to do draft previews. We're going to talk about position by positions. We're going to have interviews. We're going to have people on throughout the summer. So we're not going anywhere, folks. So give us some time. We're going to hit the beach for a little bit, and then we'll be back, and we're going to take you straight through. We have some real exciting things coming up. Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Screen the Screener is here. We're here to stay. We can't thank you enough for your support. Loyal fans, keep tweeting us at SDS Podcast. Uh, email us, sdspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow uh, Gus at Currents 12 You can follow me at Fantasy Warrior Mike, FTSY Warrior Mike. And that's it. Carolina, our champions. But Gus, I think the real winner is you, man. You were on top of Gonzaga, and you and the Bulldogs almost pulled it off. But you certainly had a historic, historic season for Spokane. So happy for my Zags. So happy for UNC. I think they gave us exactly what we were hoping in the championship game. Congratulations to both squads. Congratulations to both coaching staffs. And congratulations to both group of student athletes. Uh, so impressed with everything that happened. And guys, uh, thank you out there for giving the screen a screener a chance this season. We are thankful for you guys giving us the opportunity to share our college basketball nerdiness out there with you. Let's hit the beach, Gus, and talk about some great predictions I had this year, like Jaron Jaron Blossom game being second team All American. <laughs> it's gonna be some fun stuff in this review show, the recap show. Oh, very good, very good. All right, we'll see you, folks. Screen the screener. Congratulations, starting.